conversation is about. We, uh, we've done this for a few weeks now, and I hope you're having kind of a good time with it. Um, we've been talking about some of the things that people don't often talk about around the church. And some of these hot-button issues, I've, I've actually saved some other more hot-button issues to do this again down the road sometime. But we began to get into it a little bit, talking about some of the hot-button issues that, that, you know, good Christian people can think differently about and think in different ways about. And sometimes that makes it a little bit of a challenge um, because you know, we kind of want to think our way, and yet we're Christians and we love Jesus, so we need to try to learn how to have conversations about these things. And that's kind of what we've been trying to do. It would have been easier, as I've been saying all along, not to talk about these things. The last thing that we want to do in the church is to stir up controversy and to create some sort of division or to put Christians up against each other. And yet, as I wrestle with it and continue to, the reality is if we don't talk about these things here, then you're, you're going to talk about them out there. Or you're going to be kind of left to your own devices to come up with an appropriate response or a Christian reaction to some of these issues. And sometimes our own best devices are fed not necessarily by what, uh, like, Scripture and the church and uh, Christian tradition and reason have to say about these things, which are the four pegs of the Wesleyan quadrilateral, by the way, if that rings a bell for any of you. A lot of times our own best devices are culture and media and, um, you know, our, my best friend or what somebody said on Facebook or, you know, these kinds of things. Or, or, or God bless them all, but the TV preachers. I mean, there's a lot of them coming with a lot of different things. And sometimes it's hard to process all that stuff. So we're trying to take some time to do that in these moments. Um, I, I'm reminded... Many of you remember Steve Heisinga, and he used to, he, he's teaching philosophy, moved far away from here, Ohio, um, but he used to always remind me, James, the Bible says to love the Lord with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and, uh, and he wouldn't ever let me forget, he was a philosopher, of course, so he liked to, to think about that, but that's kind of what we're trying to do as well here, not just uh, we're not checking out of worship by any means. We're worshiping the Lord as we think together. So our hope has been that the content of these conversations has been helpful. We've talked about politics. We've talked about the family. We've talked about science and how faith relates or informs each of these. And our, my hope, again, is that some of the content that we've shared has been helpful. But, but along with the content, we've, we've tried to model a, kind of a context for how we can continue to talk about these things, and by having a few people each week to talk about that. And we're going to talk about, we're going to have some people join me again in just a few moments today as we talk about the relationship really between faith and suffering. So faith and suffering today. Uh, boy, big one, faith and suffering. There, theo, a theologian that I came across, Robert McAfee Brown, he admitted that the mystery of evil which goes along with this problem of suffering, is the source, he said, of our greatest vulnerability as believers. And many of you have perhaps come up against this. The problem of evil and suffering and pain has long been kind of a sticking point for folks both from within the Christian faith and without, or outside 
uh, of the faith as we think about um, what is going on with this. It's the challenge, let me just read this, this challenge of reconciling a God, hear this with me, reconciling a God who is both all-loving and all-powerful with the reality of suffering and evil in the world. That's the basic challenge. A God who's all-loving and all-powerful with the reality of suffering and evil in, in the world. The, the challenge is this. If God was all-loving, the argument goes, he would want to abolish all forms of evil and suffering. And if he was all-powerful, he would abolish all forms of evil and suffering. And as we look around in the world, we seem to still see evil and suffering quite prevalent. And so um, opponents of Christianity suggest that God is either all, not all-loving or not or all-powerful or both. And if he's not these things, then he's not really God at all. I told you it was called the problem of evil, right? I mean, this is, it's not called that for nothing. I mean, this is, a, this is an issue that we have wrestled with and thought about. And we want to, in this place here today, wrestle with it a little bit more. And uh, the, the reality is, if you haven't wrestled with this, you will quite likely be confronted in your own faith or by others uh, in days to come. So I'm going to invite a couple guys up in a couple minutes, but I just want to lay a quick foundation. I've got a Quite a bit of, it's, it, I don't think it's quite a bit, but it might kind of do that if I wander. So let me get this to you, this information, so I can get these guys up here to you. Um, the first thing I want to get to you is this idea that, that there are different kinds of suffering. There's different types of suffering. And, I, and, and there's many more than I'm going to name, but just, I'm, I'm just going to identify three different kinds of suffering. The, the first kind of suffering is actually, actually a good kind of suffering for, for a Christian, and this is the suffering that comes about through persecution. Uh, suffering that comes about through persecution. There's that, that first idea. Now, Peter writes about this in his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at this, per, this uh, passage of Scripture with me. I love how he says it. Dear friends, he's writing to Christians in the midst of great persecution. And he says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. That it? Yeah. So here's Peter talking about this, this kind of suffering that we should not be surprised at. We should expect. And in fact, at this level, if, if we're followers of Jesus and we're not experiencing some degree of persecution, some degree of suffering at the kind of hands of non-believers because of our faith, then that is when we should be surprised. That is when we should be a little bit concerned. So there's this kind of good form of suffering and, and, and in terms particular of, of persecution. Second one is this, bad choices. Uh, suffering that comes as a result of bad choices. And, and I want to kind of say here, kind of self-inflicted suffering, right? This is when we do things that we know are contrary to Scripture, 
We know are not God's best idea for us. We know are disobedient to Him. And yet we go ahead and do these things anyway. We, we, the, the, the proverb, I think I have it, the proverb 14, 12, I think it is, says this, there is a way, read it with me, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. This is us, right? We think we know the way, and it leads to death. It leads to our, our poor choices, our wrong choices, our self-inflicted wrong choices, our, our physical and moral choices, abusing drugs and alcohol, committing crimes, hanging out with or being in relationships wrong, with the, the wrong folks. Oh, this is just a, a sampling of so many potential wrong choices there are that we can make. And when we do, so often we are the recipients of, 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 a, of a suffering, a, a real suffering in in this life. Um, but then there's another suffering, another evil, uh, other evil in the world that seems to be outside of the realm of these two, whether it be uh, persecution or bad choices. And this is the suffering that really is just, I'm just calling it the unexplainable. The suffering that we just really can't get our minds around. This, 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 you know, we, watched, we saw it on the news this week, these tornadoes going through. I called Bob Skaggs. They live in Neosho, Wisconsin, just 15 miles south of Joplin. And uh, Robin was up helping out in Joplin this week, trying to just kind of come along the side of the victims there. But we see these tornadoes, well, you know, going through these towns. Or we see, we hear about disease. Or we hear about the choices, perhaps, of others, but how they affect not just themselves, but how they affect innocent people. I mean, these are kind of the unexplainable things that, that, that we have to think about when it comes to, uh, to suffering, um, the, the kind of suffering that just doesn't really seem to make any sense. I'm not exactly sure if Jesus was talking about this kind of suffering when he said these words to his disciples, but this next little passage, he, he's talking to them, and, and the context is a little bit bigger. They're, he's getting ready to leave, and they're a little bit concerned about what's going on as this transition is going to happen. And, and yet he finally does say these words that I so often just look to, and he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace, but this sentence, in this world you will have trouble. And, and that kind of summarizes a little bit for me this unexplained suffering. It, it just, it's there. There's, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be suffering. Some of it you'll be able to put your finger on why it's happening. Others perhaps not necessarily the, the conclusion of that verse. Would you read it with me? But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's going to get us down the road in just a minute. Now, this unexplainable, let me talk about it just for a little, uh, another minute, because while I'm calling it unexplainable, that has, my declaration of it as being unexplainable has not stopped people throughout history uh, of trying to explain it. <laughs> it has not stopped people from trying to, you know, make, perfect sense out of every aspect of suffering. And there's lots of different positions that philosophers, theologians, thinkers have come up with to try to explain the, these types of suffering. I'm just going to name two because they're, they're kind of the extremes that, that many Christians find solace really in, in one or the other of these two extremes. And then I think many of us would find ourselves either here or here or somewhere in between. But I just want to name the, the two that, that we often kind of resort to to try to explain suffering, all right? See if you find yourself in either of these categories. The first is something called deism. Deism. 
And this is simply the idea that God is kind of removed. God, if you're a deist, you believe that God created the world. It's kind of the watchmaker metaphor that he created the world. He winded it up or wound it up. And then he kind of set it into motion and basically went on vacation. And he no longer is involved or intervening in the world. He set the laws up. He set everything into place. The, you know, all this, he got it all going and then he's out. And and so it just kind of works as it was set up to work. And, and he doesn't necessarily involve himself in it, but he's not responsible for any of the suffering that goes on because this is just kind of how he got it started, and now he's out. So when you know, things happen that, that aren't good, um, storms, earthquakes, so forth, uh, this is just the natural processes of how our planet works. So he neither causes suffering, nor does anything to intervene in it. Um, I'll talk about that in just a second. The, the other side is what we, make, what we might call determinism. This, this idea of determinism, this other pull in a sense, which would say that God is totally responsible for everything. That, that not, he, not only did he not leave, he, he, is, he has set everything into motion. He is sovereign he has predetermined everything that will ever happen on the earth. He controls all things. He knows all things. He has a plan that is being worked out every single, right to the detail. Some say that it's like he's written the script, and, and we are kind of the actors within that script. He's ultimately loving and good, and so we can trust that everything that happens will ultimately, ultimately kind of result in good. And these folks would say that if we don't see it as good right now, then we just don't see it. That ultimately, everything will, will turn out to be good. Now, deism, first of all, maybe go to a blank screen if you can. Let me go back to deism for just a second. Or you can go back to deism. There's a, we have problems with deism, right? I mean, it, it's just unbiblical, basically. I mean... God is not removed. According to the Bible, the, the, the God of the Bible is very involved, has been from the very beginning with his people, and, and is walking through Scripture and the Old Testament with Israel, and then in his son Jesus and in the presence of his Holy Spirit, he is very much involved in creation, very much involved in the, 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 the living of humanity. And so we, we would have to say that that part we can't really um, get with, that that the Bible teaches us that God is very much involved in our world. So that's, you know, going that far is a problem. This other side poses its own set of problems. And I would say most of us, the majority of us, maybe more of us, would kind of lean towards this other pull of determinism. But it has its own problems as well. If God is behind everything, if everything happens for a reason, then God not only knows what will happen, but everything happens because God has a reason for it. Now, that kind of sounds okay, but then you start thinking about some really terrible things. Start thinking about rape, and you start thinking about murder, and you start thinking about, I mean, the, the grisliest cases that you can possibly think of. And I don't even want to, I, I read about some this week that just, you know, can make you just shudder and shake and just, weep and mourn, and, and it's just even terrible to think about. But all of these things, for the determinists, would, it would have to say that all of these things happened because God caused them. It would say he had a, 
better end in sight, but still, and, and human agents had committed the crime, but they had committed the crime because God wrote it into the script and had predetermined that they would do so. And this has problems because it just doesn't sound like the ways of a loving and powerful God. So there are some issues here uh, within this. We're going to talk about some of the, maybe the middle grounds, but what many Christians have done, they've either taken solace in one of these two poles, or what many Christians, including myself, have done, we've stepped back and we've said, instead of trying to explain suffering, I am going to stand on kind of different ground. And I'm going to, instead of explaining some things, I'm going to affirm some things. That within the context of some really difficult uh, attempts to understand suffering, instead of explaining it, I'm going to affirm a few things. And I want to just affirm those with you and, and for you this morning. And, um, the first is this. If I might not be able to explain it, I can affirm that God is with the suffering. God is with those who suffer. We don't have to wonder about this. Uh, we don't have to debate the, the truth or the validity of that statement. Again, throughout Scripture, we just, we just see this truth exposed again and again and again. He is, he is on the side of the suffering. He is, he is with us. So when we're in the midst of a time of suffering, we may wonder why at some level, but we can know for certainty that, that God has never left us. He has not departed from us. He is with us. As the scriptures say, he will never leave us or forsake us. I love this verse as Paul writes in Romans as well, Romans 8. 38 and 39, I think it is. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is with is suffering. Second one I want to affirm, second affirmation I want to make is simply this that God is working amidst our suffering. God is always working even amidst our suffering. So when we're going through a very difficult time at whatever level, when there is suffering, when there is evil, when there is just pain, when these things are happening, God has not ceased to operate. God is still on the move. God is still working. And, and though I don't believe, and I don't, I don't think it would be helpful to believe that necessarily God causes things in order to bring about his, causes evil things to, in order to bring about his good purposes, the Bible is very clear that out of that evil and out of that suffering, God can bring about and will bring about his good purposes in our lives. It's Romans eight twenty-eight, the 10 verses back from where we just read, read it with me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He, one writer said, God will not waste an opportunity. God will not waste an opportunity in our lives to, to, to use whatever it is that is occurring to shape us and form us more into the people that he would have us to be, to, to redirect our passions and our interests and our pursuits, to fall more in line with who he, again, is, is shaping us and calling us 
to be. So God is working even amidst our suffering. And then the last one I just want to share is this, that God, an affirmation that I want to make is that God promises an end to our suffering. Amen indeed. That God promises an end to our suffering. That while we might not be able to sit here and explain it necessarily completely, we can make these affirmations. And the, the ultimate, ultimate affirmation that we need to make is that God promises an end to our suffering. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus said. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Right? Listen to this description from the, from the book of Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. This is the, the vision of the future, the consummation of the kingdom. And he will live with them. Again, God will be with us. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And in this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Amen? Anybody else want to say it? Amen. Amen. So, uh, God promises an end to our suffering. Um, I, I'm going to invite uh, Timothy Linehan and Rolf Guyan to come on up here. As they're coming, I want you just to watch this video. This is a guy named Philip Yancey. Some of you have heard him. He's a writer or maybe you've read some of his books. Uh, but listen to what he has to say about this, uh, this very idea. Out of that came this book. Out of I that think came this book. I think one of the most important things that we as Christians need to communicate is that God is on the side of the one who suffers. I'm appalled and astonished that to this day, when somebody goes through a hard time, a parade of Christians comes with these kind of Job's comforter words. Uh, you did something to deserve this, God's punishing you. No, it's not God, it's the devil. No, it's not the devil, it's God, but because he likes you and he wants you to be an example. And you know, the poor person is lying there just trying to feel better and the Christians actually make them feel worse. So one strong point that I've gotten from the Bible, there are some questions nobody has the answer to. Why does a tornado hit this town and not that town? Why does this little girl get leukemia and not the, the girl next door? Nobody knows the answer to that and the Bible, avoids it. The Bible doesn't answer it. But it does give a very clear answer to how God feels about someone going through a time like that. And the way we know that is because God gave us a face, the face of Jesus. We're Christians, we follow Jesus. All you have to do is follow Jesus around and watch how he responds to a person going through a hard time. He never lectures, never gives philosophical arguments. He, he responds with compassion and then with healing. So from that, we know how God feels about people who are going through hard times. God is on their side. We live on a planet where bad things happen, a planet of freedom where human beings can be part of the bad things that happen. And there are a lot of questions in, uh, surrounding that. But I start with my brightest glimpse. Well, it's great to be with these guys. I think you know uh, them, but I want to introduce them first of all. I'm going to start with uh, 
Timothy Linehan. And Timothy is a, uh, wow, he's finishing up his PhD, right? Finishing up. Keywords. And, uh, and also teaching uh, philosophy at, at UCSB and at Westmont. And uh, just a, a great friend. He's taught Sunday school, adult Bible study here at our church as well. And uh, we have a lot of fun thinking and talking about things like this. And I love to kind of pick his brain so, uh, about this. So a couple weeks ago, I asked him if he could explain uh, theodicy or, the, gift of, or the, the issue, the problem of pain and suffering. And uh, he looked at me, uh, explained. And I said, what I meant was, could you help us talk about it and think about it a little bit? And he goes, oh, yeah, I can do that. No problem. And then Rolf Geiling, maybe you know Rolf. Rolf's the director, president of the Rescue Mission here in Santa Barbara. And uh, Rolf, his wife Trish, and their family, such a wonderful part of, of our church family, our church body, and uh, has worked there at the Rescue Mission for how long now? Three, four? Four years. And, uh, and their son, Rudy, who he'll talk a little bit more about, has um, had some tremendous health issues, half a heart. Uh, born that way, and just lots of different difficulties and, and, and challenges, to say the least. And so uh, Rolf brings some, uh, some real perspective for us as well with this problem, this, this issue of faith and, and suffering. So I want to start, I think, with Timothy. And um, again, I got to meet with these guys yesterday, as I've done each week. And I wish, as I told them, I wish I would have had a camera just recording that conversation. Um, but we'll try to duplicate it the best we can. Um, so, Tim, tell us, or just feedback to this question, why is this an important topic for us to talk about? Why, in the church, is it important for um, followers of Jesus to even think about this relationship between faith and suffering and this question of how it all plays out in, in our lives? Sure. Well, I think the only correct answer is that there's lots of reasons. And so I'll, I'll only speak to the reason uh, that's relevant to me being up here. And that is, for instance, uh, there are thousands and thousands of uh, young Christians that go off to university and immediately drop their faith upon arriving because they're not, because they haven't had uh, this sort of preparation talking about tough questions. And they come to suspect that maybe they're too smart for Christianity or maybe that uh, it's the faith of their parents, but they've sort of grown out of that. They're adults now. Uh, maybe suspect that it's a superstition and that uh, the faith that they've been taught and have grown up with uh, doesn't have the intellectual resources to deal with this sort of puzzle. All good? All powerful? Look around. Look at the world we're living in. And they uh, drop it, and that's the end of that. All right. Um, I talked a little bit about deism, determinism, polls, uh, Extremes, perhaps. Um, how would you feed back to maybe those two positions? And are there other options for us as we think kind of rationally and philosophically, logically, even about this, uh, this issue as Christians? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that's really important to get clear on is, is what exactly the problem of evil is. Because there's lots of different facets. One would be not knowing what to say when a friend or a family member is suffering. That's a problem, it's a, it's a challenge. It's not the problem of evil as we've been talking about it, but it's a challenge that comes from evil. What do I say? Well, here's a hint. You wouldn't come to me, the philosopher, as what to say to a grieving friend. I, I'd get the advice all wrong. I, I would give you arguments and reasoning, and that's not what they're looking for. 
So I just want to be clear that if I have anything to add to this conversation, it's to a very small subset, mm -hmm. a very small portion of the problem. And that would be the person, whether inside the faith or outside, who's wrestling with whether they can really believe that there is a God. Not someone like Job who takes it for granted there is a God and how do I pray or how do I get through this? That's an important problem of evil, but the only problem of evil that I have anything to say about here would be the one where someone's thinking, you know, after what my family went through last year, I'm not sure I even believe there is a God. And so in that context, it's perfectly reasonable. If they're looking for argument and reasoning to see if uh, the Christian faith has the resources to answer that answer, at least give some suggestion of how an all-good God, all-powerful God can let uh, the world spin out of control as it seems to be sometimes, then Christian philosophers have been hard at work trying to answer that. And quickly, I need to take your two polls. The idea is to try to find a balance. How can we, within the doctrines of the, of the church and what scripture tells us, find a way to make it plausible that God is good and powerful and sovereign and in control, and yet he might possibly have a decent reason for allowing the sorts of things we see. And that's the job of the, the Christian philosopher working on this issue. Tim is available for personal questions and answers <laughs> later. He, he did take Rolf and I on a little bit of a deeper dive yesterday, uh, at which point we, I, don't, I won't speak for Rolf, but at which point I looked at him and said, <laughs> that's what I said. Um, and, and so uh, there is, but there are some great, there's some great thinking around this and great challenges. But again, I like how you said answer because in the end, I think what, what I kind of wanted to kind of pull from Timothy a little bit is that this is not a, an issue, perhaps, that we can say, I got it. Got it all figured out, right? Well, how would you respond to that? You said you didn't want to create controversy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving room for everybody to... Right, yeah, there's room. <laughs> Look, any, uh, there's two strong traditions that uh, Pastor James has laid out. It's been in the church, church since the inception, how to respond to this. One does take this very strong view that God is in control. If you dropped a pancake on the floor this morning in your kitchen as you're eating breakfast, God foreordained that. Uh, uh, parking spots, every little molecule is in place because God has orchestrated everything. That is a nice, comforting view of God, except for it also means he did the same thing with the Holocaust and, uh, well, name your favorite, evil. On the other hand, some people find a lot of comfort in, in sort of separating God from the responsibility of those things. No, God didn't want the Holocaust. God didn't orchestrate that. In a sense, he has sort of given some looseness and flexibility in the world, and philosophers try to say why he might do that. Popular argument is because relationship requires that. At least a certain bit of looseness, free will, the ability to deny what God offers, because God uh, valued relationships so much that he was willing to take the chance of allowing that sort of evil in the world. And so Christians disagree on the best way of answering this, and I think that's a good thing to realize, is that this might be a matter of Christian liberty. Okay. Let me pull Rolf in. Um, I have about 10 more questions for Tim. But uh, <laughs> Rolf, talk to us about just your own experience, your family, you know, all this stuff it can remain so easily up here, you know, and we can talk round and round and just walk away feeling, hey, we talked round and round. 
Um, but, but it doesn't really connect until we move it really into the realm of just practical living and experience. So just talk a little bit about your own experience, uh, with Rudy in particular, and with your family, just how this is kind of playing out. Well, I think it's, 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 it's unique because I think uh, through our ministry, we've always kind of been drawn to people who are suffering. Trish and I spent about 10 years in South Central LA during the riots in a very tumultuous time, really dealing with people in tough circumstances. And from there, we, uh, you know, eventually landed at the rescue mission, where again, you're dealing with people who are down to kind of very difficult life challenges and, and suffering. And uh, um, whereas I kind of think I found myself walking alongside a lot of people who were suffering, obviously it hit with a new level of significance and profundity when our, our own family in the last uh, three years has been really facing suffering. And um, I think for us, you know, that there's so much that what Tim said and what Yancey said in the video um, and James said that's really, really help. I mean, that, that idea of the unexplainable, I think that's part of the agony of suffering is that a reason uh, remains elusive. You know, I mean, and I think we've, we, as we've walked with different families and had people walk with us, you know, eventually you get to the question of why. And I think, you know, just at some point early on, we just realized, you know, the, the answer to the question, why there is no answer why that will put everything that's happened to Rudy and to our family into a context where we'll say, oh, this is cool. This makes such great sense now. Um, it's just not there. And uh, and I think that's part of that's part of what is suffering is those answers aren't there. So. Um, I think what I've also learned is um, how to walk with people through suffering better um, uh, through just the experience of having people walk with us. Um, I had a friend who was, his dad was a police officer when we were growing up, and I remember once having a conversation with him where he said, you know, good Samaritan laws aside, he said, there are certain people who I wish would never stop for traffic accidents because, he said, just they think they're going to be heroic and be able to handle themselves, but in the middle of gruesomeness, they end up only magnifying the trauma that's that's there at the side of the road. And as a police officer, he talked about times where he had to deal with bystanders more than he did the people that were actually in critical need. And uh, I think that's a helpful analogy for uh, what we've realized is that, boy, there are, um, uh, there are people that come out of the woodwork that you just think, what did I ever do to deserve a friend <laughs> like you? Um, <laughs> Actually, I was saying that in a good way. Um, oh. <laughs> no, I mean, no, honestly, I mean, there are people that you think, boy, we didn't even know them uh, three years mm -hmm. ago, and they mm -hmm. have come to be such bedrock in our lives and such people that just have the ability to come in and to know the right word of comfort and, um, and, and just the right way to involve themselves, to sit next to you, not to ask why. I mean, like Nancy said, not to be friends of Job, kind of, trying to ruminate or trying to make reason or bring sense to it, but just to kind of look next to you and say, wow, this is, this is awful. Mm. This is tough. And uh, yet that we're here, we're here with you in it. And, you know, and like I said, by the converse, well, you know, there are other folks that really just exacerbate the, the challenge you're going through. So for me, it really has, uh, it's helped me understand kind of the value of what we as the church need to be is just really coming into suffering next to people and being with them in it. Mm. Um, Ralph, you guys have also jumped into this idea of kind of God will put an end, bring an end to our suffering, yeah. and just the, the hope that we have for God setting all things right, and uh, I think that's just a, just a powerful 
thought to be gripped by and held yeah. and hold on to. Can you just talk a little bit yeah. about how that's worked out in your yeah. family? Well, for me, it's, you know, there is a sense that, uh, you know, this side of eternity, there is, there is no way that the, the, the scales are ever going to balance. Um, I just think, you know, because there, one of the unhelpful things that happens when you're going through suffering is people try to, you know, say, look at the good that's come out of this. And, you know, Trish and I, we've walked with, you know, a lot of families who've lost their kids. And one of the things that's very tough is, you know, just uh, I, I performed a funeral for one of these kids and just had to stand there and say, you know what, there's no amount of good that came out of this, you know, from the way I, that you could sit there and say, oh, wow, this, you know. And, and I look at that with, um, with Rudy's life, and I think, boy, there's, there are things of beauty that we've seen uh, in our kids and in ourselves and in the world. Um, but, you know, I don't want to diminish those at all, but I don't think you'll ever get me to say, oh, wow, I'm really glad this happened to Rudy. Um, I, I just, you know, there's just no way to kind of get that, get that equation to balance. But what more and more I do really hold fast to, and I've never really thought about this before, but the whole idea of heaven is... Uh, just something that's very real to me, and I spend a lot of time thinking about it, that there is this, this sense of justice that God has of setting things just completely right beyond anything that we can conceive in our heads. And uh, I think, it, you know, I'm not a big person with, with prayer pictures, but um, there was one point when I was just thinking about that and wondering because, you know, all, you know, just looking at life, honestly, uh, And, you know, I've just kind of thought, what will Jesus do to set things right? And I've kind of imagined this conversation that we would have with Rudy when uh, that, uh, you know, I think it'd be a natural thing to ask him, you know, how did Jesus, how did Jesus make it up to you? What did he do? You know, and, uh, and I have a feeling Rudy would look at us kind of dumbfounded and say, what are you talking about? And I think we would say, you know, well, you know, seven months in the hospital, this intervention, that intervention, this shortcoming. And uh, I just have a feeling Rudy's answer would be to us, you know, I think I remember something about a hospital. Gosh, what was that again? Tell me about that. And I honestly think it's because, because we see things, you know, on this side as so differently than the way that Jesus sees them on the other side. Um, and his way of setting things right will be so complete. We're not going to be sitting around heaven kind of, you know, looking at Rudy saying, oh, remember, that was the kid that got shafted down there, you know? It's just going to be completely a memory to us, or, you know, it's a very elusive thing. And, and uh, I think when I think about, you know, the circumstances we've seen in our ministry of people really dealing with tough circumstances and suffering that you just think, gosh, that, that to me just makes me hunger for this idea of the kingdom of God where things get set right is just... Uh, you know, there's there's a justice there that is so indescribable um, uh, that 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 just I yearn for. Good, Tim, back to you for a second. But Ralph, follow up on this as well. I just want to really ask you guys both, just kind of maybe this one more question is, and it's just kind of this idea that none of us really knows when we're going to go around the next corner in life, and there's going to be something. Maybe right in the midst of it right now. Many of you maybe are even right in the midst of something right now. We don't know when a loved one uh, is going to begin suddenly to face something, some disease, or we don't know when the next 
natural disasters going to happen. Um, my concern is just that we read all the time about Christians saying things in response to their own suffering or the suffering of others or these occurrences in nature. You know, things like, well, you know, God's getting, getting them, basically, or you know, they, they did something to deserve that. Um, that just, you know, make us all kind of cringe. And, and so I guess if you could give these folks and give me just um, some perspective, either philosophically or just experientially, about what, what can we say? What, what, what is it that we, again, should say in those circumstances um, as opposed to just being completely silent on the matter, which I don't think is necessarily what we want to do either. Is that, so, so I, I like silence. I like silence on a lot silence. of occasions. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, what can I say? Yeah. It's a matter of discernment, I think. It's a matter of uh, experience with these sort of things and becoming comfortable with them. Um, after you flub it a few times, giving false words of comfort, you might pick up on better ways of doing it. But this sort of touches on my very first point, which is also recognizing where you stand in, in any given place. God forbid that I offer some of my arguments, my philosophical arguments that I work on professionally to someone who comes to me grieving. <laughs> it's just not the place. But also, and this was kind of, like I said, the only reason why I'm up here, it would also be, I think, inappropriate when someone honestly seeking wants to know, what's the answer to this? I just don't think I can believe unless Christianity has some sort of answer to this puzzle to say, well, you know what, let me just tell you what we affirm, that God is with you. And they'd say, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I'm, I don't, I'm not sure I believe in God, yeah. but God will make all things right. No, you don't. <laughs> so it's just a matter of discerning what they're looking for, and what, but what is the given answer in any particular time? I don't know. Okay, but, but what I'm hearing from you is that maybe when we're not in the midst of suffering is maybe a good time for us to think about it at some of these deeper levels so that our heart is kind of geared into that so that when we do speak out of the heart in a sense, we're doing so with some level of reflection. Yeah, how can I add to that? That was, okay. that was perfect. <laughs> that was good. That was exactly. <laughs> right. And also um, steeping yourself in scripture. Because sometimes when you, you're trying spontaneously to come up with something wise and comforting and deep, we're not all that good. But David was very good with some good words. And mm. if you have those at your fingertips, mm. you might have something to use that's quite good, mm. good. from God. Amen. Rolf, respond to that same kind of deal. Uh, can I say my bad words? Sure. Okay, good. <laughs> They're not that bad. No, I was telling a story this. Um, he's going to, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I gave him permission to do this yesterday, and he's got it again today. Oh, it's, yeah, now everybody's going to really... I know, huh? They're going to be disappointed because it's not that bad. <laughs> so one time, uh, we were sitting having dinner at the rescue mission, um, and uh, Rudy and I were there, and we are at the table, and, you know, one of the, um, you know, more blessed, confused types sat down with us, and, uh, uh, but just wonderfully lacking in any sense of, I mean, it, the last thing this person was was uncomfortable talking, and... Uh, <laughs> He looked at Rudy and kind of said, what's wrong with your kid? And I said, oh, well, he was born with half a heart. Oh, hmm. What's that thing there? Oh, it's a trach. What's the tube for? He gets oxygen. Oh, wow. How does he, a lot, you know, and a lot of people are very difficult, you know, find a very, they don't want to 
ask the wrong questions, so they just won't ask anything at all. And so he was asking questions about how Rudy gets his feeds, and you know, you know. And then he said, "So is he going to recover from this? Is he ever, you know?" And I said, "Well, not not really." And he looked and he said, "Wow, that really sucks." <laughs> and I said, "Thank you. It really does." <laughs> You know, because there's so many people, because to me that was, in a very incarnational way, just entering into the suffering, just sitting next to you and saying, wow, that's tough. Um, because, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of times where people want to come in and say, well, all things work to the good, or maybe God has a bigger plan or purpose. And I don't, I don't, I don't deny that, but that's not, you know, it, there's just not a compact statement like that that will sum up and I you know God bless people who try that and I've done it myself but but the fact is is you can't look at the complexity you can't come into somebody's suffering and boy if there was one sentence that just that just put perspective on everything and made everything feel right um, you know I've walked with enough families now uh, in the last two years that I would think it would come to me and I've you know we have through our blog we have email contact with families all across the U.S. they're dealing with this and the, the bottom line thing that I've been able to come to that I can offer people, because even if somebody has a kid exactly with what Rudy has, the experiences are all so unique, and that's what suffering is. Part of suffering is it's so personal, it's so unique, it's isolating. So just usually the only thing I can say to people is, you know what, <clears throat> you're not alone. I'm just, to the extent that I can be, I'm here, I'm with you in it, and and um, I, think, I think for us that's, uh, you know, how you enter in. I mean, because the fact is, is that, uh, you know, you're not, um, yeah, it, it's not something that can be fixed in, uh, in one conversation. And so I think we need to free ourselves up from that, that urge that we have to just want to say, okay, how can I walk away and make this person feel a-okay <laughs> and just say, no, nah, no, nah, you know, just, just come next to them and hug them and just say, you know, it's, 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 it's tough. And that's, uh, uh, but, because that, that, the fact is, is that's really what, that's, um, that's an image of what Jesus is, that it's not, the situation's not fixed, it's broken, it may be, you know, uh, quite hopeless, but Jesus is in it with us. And as the people of God, we just need to be able to come in there with people and say, yeah, we're, we're here too. Amen. Couple, couple of thoughts. Anything else that you guys, that I haven't asked the right question to allow you to say, that you feel like? Um, a, a little clipping from a newsletter that I came across in, in a book. This uh, author unknown, but simply says, suffering is not God's desire for us, but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to teach us something, but through it we may learn. Suffering is not given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequence of our own sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but through it our faith may be strengthened. God does not depend on human suffering to achieve his purposes, but sometimes through suffering his purposes are achieved. Suffering can either destroy us or it can add meaning to our life. And as I read that, and the author went on to say, does this fully capture the experience of God's providential work in our lives? By no means. And there are even weaknesses by for certain to that comment, but I think it helps us a little bit. Um, I, I just want to wrap it up. I, I, um, one of my professors in seminary, philosophy of religion, was a guy named Albert Truesdale. He was one of the most amazing guys I've ever met, and he was 
much like Timothy and Steve Heisinger, these philosophers who are, are men, melding the, the mind and the heart in this beautiful way in service to Christ. And this is the guy that would talk to us about, and I had him in an ethics class, and he would be breaking down just the, you know, the philosophical, same kind of deal where I'd be you know, trying to fathom it all. And, and then he'd look at his watch and he'd say, oh, I got to go, I got to get over to the uh, Pregnancy Crisis Center, I'm giving devotions today, you know, and so he's just like this, this amazing lover of Jesus and this, this great mind, but he wrote a book after the Oklahoma City bombings, and the name of the book is simply called, If God is God, Then Why? And uh, it's really a series of letters, fictional letters, between um, a, couple, his, uh, a lady and her friend who in the story, lost her child in the bombings in Oklahoma City. And the fictional uncle, who is a retired uh, pastor, theologian, and um, teacher. And it's just this exchange, this letter exchange between um, them. And the book is just, she asks a question, or proposes a reason for suffering, and he says, yeah, that's good, except for this. He basically, she puts him up there, and he wipes him out over and over and over. Until finally she's like, well, I thought that was a good one. Uh, so, and you said no, so I'm guessing you got something up your sleeve, Uncle Carl. And he writes back this very short letter, I have nothing up my sleeve. I have nothing up my sleeve. And she writes back just freaking out, what's going on? And he, he basically brings it down to these two points that I just want to leave you with, and then we're going to sing a song and be done. He says this, reconciling the challenge of a God who is all-loving and all-powerful with the problem of evil and suffering. But we can know that God is all-loving because of the cross and for what he did for us in and through Jesus Christ. And so we never, as followers of his, have to question whether or not God is all-loving. And we know that he is all-powerful because of the resurrection, because he raised Jesus from the dead, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for us to live into as well. And so while we still may wrestle, and I encourage the wrestling match to continue, the conversations about how this all plays out, we, as followers of his, never have to doubt those two pieces of truth. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, thank you that you are uh, helping us as we think about issues like this. And right now, God, I would pray for those who are experiencing a depth of suffering and pain and even evil that, uh, that perhaps we can't fathom or bring a reason for. We thank you that you are there with them. And I would also just pray for those who are questioning or wrestling with this issue at such a level that perhaps their faith is really being challenged. We're, we're glad that our faith could be stretched, but we pray that, that our prayer would be that of the person in scriptures who said, I believe, help thou my unbelief, and strengthen us as we continue to grow in this, uh, in this place of our lives. Thank you for this day. We pray this in your name.